This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Gretel Colleen, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you for having me. Now, for those of you listening, you might notice that I'm a little bit excited today, just a tad, just a little bit. Gretel and I go way back. Mm. A few years back, we um, we were travelling together for Get Reading. We had such a hoot, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. That was an amazing initiative. It makes a difference, reading. I just, I do know, I'm just blurting this in and, I, and then we'll get back on the trajectory. But if I have a public speaking gig, I, or television gear or whatever, I always read a novel, not the entire the night before. Yeah. I read a lot of newspapers, I read a lot of information, but it's fiction that the following day will make me more articulate, mm. much more articulate and much more clear thinking. It is like a magic spell. So people I should totally read for no other that. reason than that. <laughs> you know, it makes you look smarter, right? I, I agree with It that. actually does make you smarter. Yeah. Can't just be any old thing. Yeah. And and listening to dialogue or whatever on Netflix or wherever doesn't have the same import. It must open something in your mind. Anyway, sorry, that this is absolutely typical of even when we were on tour. Yes. There's a distraction. But you are to the point, you know, and I'm gonna say this before I introduce you. Um during COVID, book sales have gone through the roof, which is yeah. just so wonderful to hear. And, and you would agree that people have taken solace in reading. But somebody said to me the other day, the thing with reading is if you're isolated at home, like I was for the first couple mm-hmm. of weeks, which I found really challenging, you can take to books and, you know, you will feel obviously less lonely and all sorts of things, right? But even if you're isolated with your family, with your partner, with your children, with your adult children, with your teenage children, whatever, if everyone has a book, it's like you're in your own world as well. That's really interesting, isn't it? Because you can all go to your own place within yeah. in your imagination, within a physical place. Yeah, I, I can't imagine the family where everyone is on a book nowadays mm. um, because there are so many people on screens, which I don't think has the same impact. But I know when I was a child escaping via a book, it was it was the most brilliant alternate life I led mm. where I could sneak away and and live whatever that experience was. But, of course, everybody listening is already an avid reader, so they probably know the magic of it all, I suppose. Yeah, that's not necessarily true with our podcast. People listen because it's Gretel to Colleen or people listen because it's Matthew yeah. McConaughey or people listen because it's Petty Carey and then they go and get the book. Often people write to me and say, well, I didn't know that Gretel Colleen had a book. I didn't know that, you know, mm. uh, Matthew McConaughey had a book. So that's how it goes. But let me introduce you. Gretel Colleen, <laughs> I mean, there might be a couple of people in this country that don't know you, so we've got to do an intro, right? Uh, Gretel <laughs> Colleen. I'm excited to hear how you describe me because I'm always wondering how to do it. (laughs) 
<laughs> She's a best-selling author. I've got to stop laughing too, right? Because you okay. make me happy, right? But anyway, Greta Colleen is a best-selling author, award-winning comedy writer, and has appeared on hundreds of TV and radio shows. While a goodwill ambassador for UNICEF, she directed a documentary on AIDS orphans in Zambia. Gretel has entertained Australian troops around the world, from Afghanistan to Iraq, Egypt, the Solomon Islands, and East Timor has been a travel writer and has travelled through Antarctica, Turkey, Nambia, performed as an actor on stage and screen, performed as a stand-up comic, worked as a voiceover artist and now has written a novel, My Daughter's Wedding. Beautiful, a heart-aching comedy about three generations of mother-daughter love. Oh, my God, it really resonated with me for lots of reasons. Well, you know I don't have children but I've got an extended family. I know you do, yeah. Yeah, mother's got dementia. My mum's got in, um, it's not diagnosed as dementia, but that's a formality. Mm-hmm. Gee, that's an experience, isn't it? And, and for people listening, the three generations are a mum, her daughter, who disappeared uh, without explanation four years ago, but we know she's all right because she's kept in contact with her sister. So there's that girl, Hope, her mum, Nora, and Nora's mum, whose name is Daphne, and Daphne is the one whose dementia is increasing but it's interesting isn't it Cheryl because and in fact my character Nora in the book talks about the ease with which her friend refers to muddle-headedness as though it's a natural part of life and Nora sees it as something to be ashamed of for many reasons she thinks it will look like it's her fault she thinks it will look like her mother's not trying hard enough and also she doesn't want the world thinking this is her mother this is who this person was. But I portrayed Daphne with something that I found with my mum, with humour, with gentleness and fondness, not all the way through because you know it's a journey, but has that been an interesting thing for you to experience with your mum? Do you know what I think is really interesting? When I picked up the book, I just thought I was exactly at the mother's stage. Like here I was, I'm Nora, and I felt that you were looking at life from two perspectives. So you were looking up and we were looking down, if you like, the next generation. And I get to see that through, I've got Mm. hundreds of nieces and nephews Mm. and I get to see that. But looking up has been deeply, it's deeply sad, but it's the natural order, but there is a deep sadness to it, isn't there? There's a lot to be grateful for too. I'm grateful to have this time and to say goodbye in a way. But I must say, and I hope I hope my family doesn't mind me mentioning this, and intimacy has developed with my mum that we never had before. A fondness and and laughter and uh, it makes me cry just thinking about it. Life was so hard for our mum's generations. They they couldn't express their emotions, they weren't respected by society which is one of the reasons I wanted to write the book. It's it's really championing being a woman, the relationships that we have, the humour of it, how hard we try, how warrior-like we are every single day. And because what we do is sustain the fundamentals of life, we don't get badges and honours for it. But without us, none of this works. I was thinking about being a mother. I've been thinking about that for a long time, just the responsibilities and, you know, since mm. my mother has started losing her memory. Again, it's it's early stages but it's still distressing. 
But I was thinking the plight of mothers, and I read a lot, as you know, and often when I read, and I don't know if you've come across this, but often when I read a story that's about a single dad and his child, it is always filled with imagination, with joy, with doing fun things, with getting through this, being a single parent, navigating it, with a lot of fun and humour. And when you read the stories of mothers raising a single child, it's usually, it's not always the case, but it's usually about hardship. It's usually the expectation. Poverty usually comes with it, more so for women than it does men, because, you know, they're not able to work. And I just thought in so many levels of being a woman, the responsibility is always there. It's inescapable, isn't it? And so now you, you you know, or Nora in the book as a grown-up daughter, still worried, still everything, and then worrying above about your mother as well. I mean, it just doesn't ever go away, does it? No, it doesn't go away. And I think it's, this is one of those books and um, where I was excited writing it because I didn't know where it was going. Mm. And when I write, I really feel like a vessel. I just, I tune into whatever that station is because um, it's there all the time. I tune in and really I, I take the notes. I don't know where the characters come from, how they speak. Like really I'll be writing something kind of exciting because I don't know what character's going to walk in next or what they're going to say and how they're going to tip the story upside down. I do not recommend this as a method of writing uh, to anyone who wants to be a writer because uh, you can end up with a lot of things that have to be tied together afterwards. Having said that, when I was writing this, I knew the fundamental, which was that Nora's daughter had disappeared. And, And I knew that a wedding, because my daughter got married herself a couple of years ago, I know that they're hot pots of emotion my daughter's was wonderful, but there's any area I love where it can just be, ah, everything's intense. So I had the circumstance and I had the fundamental plot line and then I didn't know what would happen. And as it turned out, it was answering the question that was Nora's question, which is what is this mother-daughter love? Mm-hmm. What is it? Because it can be so thankless. It can be so demanding, so heartbreaking. Why is it? Do we see our daughters as ourselves? Do our daughters, why are we like two bulls or whatever the equivalent is in a paddock and there's only room for one? Why do we have this relationship with our own mothers absolutely replicated? Is it something that's just in our Western culture? Do other people in our community here feel like this? And I, and what Nora begins to discover is that everything she's resented her own mother for, her daughter is resenting her for and so it becomes a journey of forgiveness and peace because also the clock is ticking mum's disappearing her mind is disappearing and you would have had a million examples of this when I was little we stood out so much you know we were migrant children we didn't look like everybody else my mother hand knitted our cardigans at school and everybody had a knitted yes I mean my dream was to get a machine knitted yeah, those things mattered. They mattered. But something that I really, really hated about my mother growing up, I loved her most of the time, but I hated how different she was to other mothers, right? Yeah. And in the morning, she used to always have on Lebanese bread for breakfast, she would have fresh feta and fresh figs. 
And I used to think that was repulsive, right? How could you even think about eating that? And do you know, as I grew up, what do you think I started having for breakfast? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> what do you go to the local cafe and pay seven bucks for? Exactly that. It's very interesting because part of the way we look at our, our parents, I wonder if it is conditioning. One of the triggers, one of the tiny triggers in writing my daughter's wedding also contributing to me wanting to to stand up for women was seeing it was a late night television show out of America and these celebrities were reading stupid texts that your mother had sent mm. and I I'm one of those people you're the stupid aunt that sent the stupid texts we're not idiots we're loving wonderful mm. people so how did this happen that that suddenly everything we've achieved and done for someone else and received is mocked. And I wanted to stand up for that, but with humour, which is the way I do it. But it was interesting because I've been watching a Maya Angel documentary about Maya Angelou mm. and her son was uh, he's relentlessly asked, what was it like growing up with your mum, a famous, celebrated, extraordinary woman? And he said, I never felt overshadowed by, in her shadow. I always felt that I was in her light. And it's such a different way of looking at exactly the same experience, isn't it? Mm, beautiful, wanted, isn't it? Yeah. So I wanted to, and this was only uh, last night that I saw that, so it didn't influence this book, but it all comes together. I think I love the notion of the imperative of time. We must solve this because we won't get another chance. You reach an age where you cannot, no, it'll be all right. We'll try again. We'll catch up. As your mum gets old, you don't know what that phone call is. You don't know if it's the home or the hospital or what. You just don't know. And you also do know that to live with something unsolved or unpursued is not a happy life. So that's why Nora needed to resolve, in your references, both upwards and downwards. Mm. And the wonderful thing is, she never really does yeah. because you don't sort anything out. Well, I was life. just going to say you don't and you can't be hard on yourself. We're often harder on ourselves than yeah. the actual situation is. And, you know, we're humans. We're full of faults. And I often think with parenting and I see as a person with no children, you often watch parenting styles and I've seen so many different styles and very often those kids grow up to be lovely, lovely adults. And it was yeah. like... I mean, a particular friend of mine, her son was so naughty. I thought when he was eight, <laughs> nine, that he was going to end up in jail. And you should yeah. see, I mean, absolutely gorgeous young man, you know, really accomplished. And so you've got to, I mean, I don't know, I always think from where I sit, do the best you can. Also, I think there's a responsibility on the child itself yeah. to take ownership of their own life and keep going. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Do you know what I want to talk about too, before we run out of time is I want to talk about the different mediums that you've engaged in. I mean, you've been so versatile in so much that you've done. You're pretty much, you know, the Renaissance woman, if you like. And I want to know if you have a preference like in format, like what is it that you prefer? And then I want to get on to the writing process for you. Okay, sure. So it's it's an accidental career, but it is driven by, there's a hook in my heart that pulls me. And I, it, it draws me, I, I think I live my life a little bit like if I were travelling to a new town or a new place around the world. I want to see every nook and cranny. I want to see what is around the corner and what's in that bar, what's in that park, what's over the cliff, whatever it is. And, uh, and I lead my life like that. And so for me, I've had these opportunities, none of which I've trained for. So that has both um, probably madly damaged me, but also it's been great because I don't know the rules. So every time something has come up, uh, my stand-up, which was the first thing that I did when I was 20, was totally accidental. I remember being, because I was reading a serious poem and I was only doing the serious poem because we were just asked at, when I was studying university, there was a poetry night. But all of this time I was reluctant to be on stage. I was shy. It's just that the thing presented, these things presented themselves, even singing on something like The Masked Singer or directing the documentary in Zambia. They presented themselves and I thought, oh, well, I may as well do it because my fundamental philosophy is that to find out who you are, exactly like find out what that town is, find out who you are, explore every nook and cranny of your mind and your physical strength, your emotional strength and your mental strength. And the only way to do that, in my opinion, is to challenge yourself in your environments. And that's what I do. You know what I noticed about you for the time that we spent together, which was years ago, but it was such a happy time for me. Now, I, as you know, had travelled with lots of people that had a profile and very rarely does it go the other way around. Do people ask how you are, which was the first thing that you did on this podcast, right? Or when you're travelling with with someone who's got a profile or is famous or a celebrity, it really is all about them, which is fine because that's a job and I understand that. But what I noticed about you was it wasn't just in your interactions with me that was two-way. It was your interaction with a lot of people that we came across. I remember being on a plane, you won't remember this, and some, you know, guy was trying to talk to us and I was really dismissive because (laughs) I'm thinking, oh, what a dick. But you... You sat there and you listened. And what I noticed about you is that you're a listener and you're an observer. Would you describe yourself that way? Yes. I had a friend I was talking to. She's a a musician and she lives in Nashville. She was telling me this story and she said, 
oh, look, I won't go on about the drama of it all. And I thought, what are you talking about? Go on about the drama. You know, like, that. I want to know that. I want to know. He was sitting here and you were what? Yeah, I, you do want to know the details. I, I totally want to know them. And I, th- I think that that is really w- the artist's job. The word artist is used uh, a lot in odd places. I think that there are, it's something that I'm very, very passionate about, the role of the artist, because we live in a world where however much money you've acquired gives you status, or as you would know, it might be your family involvement, or you know, yeah. there are so many ways of dismissing others. How many children, where do you live, blah, blah, blah. And it took me quite a while to realise that what artists do, and writers, painters, musicians, poets, whoever we may be, is that we do, we absorb existence and then present it to the people who don't have that facility. We present life to people, for people who didn't hear that comment in the plane, for people who didn't notice the colour of your mother's feta cheese on the toast. We see it and absorb it. And I realised in stand-up comedy, we, we often say things like, what about when you're walking down the street? And everybody in the audience will think, oh, yeah, I hadn't ever noticed that. You know, what about when a seagull flies overhead? The seagull has flown over that person's head, but they didn't notice it because the artist is the one who shows them. This is where your heart is. This is where your pain is. This is how you define the ache. This is how you define your aspirations. We turn it into something that the general populace can help understand themselves through. So I don't think I'm alone in listening to the conversations and observing things. Uh, it drives some of my friends nuts. One friend said to me recently, you know what your problem is? <laughs> Do begin. <laughs> he said, you listen too hard. Which, I mean, what does that, I mean, as a woman, we're all accused of thinking too much and being too emotional, but I've never been <laughs> accused of listening too hard. But what it meant was that he couldn't get away with using words for ridiculousness, air-filling um, purposes. But I do not think I'm the only one. I think that's what the artists do, whether consciously or unconsciously. We're, we're the medium through which it passes for mm. others. So I want to get to, we talked a little bit about how your characters come to you and you think that you're just a vessel. I have heard writers say that and as a non-writer, I I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that somebody else takes hold, but I understand that that happens. (laughs) But but writing is a long form. It's the long haul, isn't it? It's it's a project. It's different to all the other forms of art that you do. Tell me how you approach it once you've decided, yes, I'm going to do this. Okay. It's... It's the most disciplined one that I encounter. I think particularly writing comedy is because every sentence must have, it's got to have a certain rhythm, not the same rhythm as the sentence before, but if you've got an extra syllable in there, the joke won't work. Mm. Your characters have to be funny yet credible. Your environment has to be funny yet plausible. Everything, the plot, you've got to get people's trust. So it's, you, and it's, you can't get away with things. On stage you can because you've got all these other senses working for you and your frock and your microphone and your pauses. And when you're working on the page, how do you, the only way you can get a pause in your words is by using other words. So uh, I paint as well. Painting to me is fabulous because it's 
physical. Writing, I find it very hard, just the physicality of it. Mm. Every part of me hurts. My neck hurts, my shoulder. I always get fat, you know, more fatter, you know, the whole bit. It, it doesn't suit me. I wander around standing on the kitchen bench, like trying to find a place to get comfortable. And I know some people say they write in eight-hour blocks or 10-hour blocks. I'd say I write in five-minute grabs um, because I'm uncomfortable within the next five minutes. And so I've had to learn how to deal with myself because it actually physically hurts, um, which is probably some sort of metaphor or whatever else but that, that is going on. So if anyone wonders, if, if, is it easy? The, the musing is extraordinary to me, but the physicality of it, and then you rework and rework and rework. And sometimes people talk about writing a book or they'll try to write a book and I think, okay, this book was 23 drafts at least. And I know some people do it in one and yay, but I don't. Mm. I I, I talk to authors, Gretel, that, you know, write a book a year or a book every second year and they tell me every time they sit down to start, it's the same anguish and the same pain. Can I do this? You know, this is really hard. It's not the easiest art form to take on, is it? No. I don't have anguish for those reasons, however. I don't have the can I do this or this is really hard. I actually get excited. Oh, good. Yeah, I think, oh, I wonder where we're going to go. Where, <laughs> where are we going today? Really, is it's like getting on board some kind of magic carpet. Where are we going today? Who's going to come in? But I balance it with socialising with friends, phone calls, painting, doing the other work. You know, I do appearances on TV or whatever else. But for anyone who's aspiring to write, learn your own rhythm. Someone said to me the other day, a friend, she said, oh, yes, but you're, you're a workaholic. You're, I'm not. If you sat beside me, I just try to optimise my time. I'm not a workaholic at all. I, I don't know why. I mean, I can understand why she says that because she doesn't see the rest of my life, mm. which is about feeding the soul, feeding the mind, um, getting exercise and, and so I'm excited, but I had to work out how to make writing work for me. Do you know another thing? I was just um, thinking about you and television, and this is probably sidetracking a little bit, but, you know, I didn't watch Big Brother all that much, but you hosted it. But the times that I did watch it, I noticed I found it cringeworthy and very hard to watch, and I felt that people were laughing at people and whatever was the case. But when you came on, and you started talking either to the people there or talking about them, there was always a level of empathy. Um, well, thank you, you for saying that. You that in spades. I think um, uh, for some reason my people, are, my tribe is the normal person, <laughs> you know. They're, they're my people. I don't know why, um, but it's not the highfalutin posh ones. I'm more than happy to spend some time there but there's just I'm not drawn to that I'm drawn to real people I, I really don't know why it's probably affecting all of my relationships and my love life and my bank account um, but I like I like real life I like the grit of it I like I like people who do you know there was a man laying the carpet in one of the rooms here at my place the other day and he, there were two of them and he started singing and it was He's singing beautiful, beautiful. And I thought, 
oh, God, this is awkward. And then I went close and I realised he was singing it to the carpet because he'd laid it really snugly against the skirting board. And I just thought, how wonderful. Look at the joy you are getting from that task. Like, and to me, that I love that. I, I don't know if many people in highfalutin jobs or whatever are making themselves laugh singing to a carpet. Yeah. No? Not a lot of people would have even observed that. So, um, yeah, they, they're my people. I think empathy also, I mean, depending on how you, how you are, a lot of people who write um, that sensitivity that, or any artist really, that sensitivity that we referred to previously, you know, of absorbing things, it can make you a bit vulnerable and a bit overloaded sometimes. So perhaps that encourages some form of empathy because because you're aware of what vulnerability actually feels like. Perhaps I'm just posturing that, but but perhaps there's something about relating to people on, on that level too, that we're mere mortals and connecting and how you would like to be treated yourself. Mm. I don't know. I'm just throwing um, that out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, for me, I, I wake up in the morning now and I pinch myself. I think, oh, how lucky am I? I've got a job that I love. You know, I talk to people that I like. And, you know, a bit like your career, I had no idea this is what I wanted to be when I left school. But I do. I feel, you know, I've got my ups, I've had my ups and downs and, and continue to have my ups and downs. But ultimately, I feel like, yeah, this is a good stage in my life and I'm, I'm happy and I'm content and I think I'm making a contribution. Do you feel the same? I feel like I'm just beginning. I feel like um, I'm, I just turned 58 and I feel like I've been training for 58 years. I've been researching, experiencing and, yeah, really just kind of I'm, like I'm about to begin. It's, it's taken me a long time to feel confident enough to have a voice. I know people would think, oh, we thought she'd never shut up, but <laughs> she said she doesn't have a voice. I think there are a lot of things for women in particular. Obviously, I can't speak for men, but I'm sure many feel this way as well. Really subconscious ways of how we're supposed to behave. When we touched on before, you're too emotional, you think too much. What is this person we're supposed to be? Mm. Basically, it's what you are not. And a lot of us grow up with whatever it is that you are is wrong be something that we actually can't define. So it encourages a tremendous amount of insecurity. As you get older, hopefully one of the things is you work out that worrying achieves nothing. So that's a good time saver once you're not worrying about things. You can trust your friends. You still, as you said, you still get your heart broken. You still get disappointed. You're still vulnerable, sometimes like a little three-year-old. You still have exactly the same response to things as that. But you know that it'll be okay. It will, you've got a structure around you. You can kind of tell the end of some stories by the beginning simply through experience. And I think that helps. But the other thing that happens as you get older is that time imperative I mentioned. You've got to stop stuffing around and for some people they reach our age I think we're about so much I don't know totally guessing um for some people these are the years 
where they want to chill. They they want to do their cruise down the Rhine once you're allowed to do that again and boom boom boom. Fantastic. But for others, this is the time to start running fast, to really bring together everything, all the seeds you've planted in your life. Let's let's see what's grown. And and that's how I feel. Love it. Love your energy. Okay, we've got to go, Gretel. I, honestly, I could bottle you sometimes. Um, and <laughs> I feel that it's just, I've been excited and, and it's been, you know, you're absolutely everything I expected you to be always. You really are. You're number one. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. I've really may I just it. May I just interrupt you yeah. and say thank you? And also, don't cut this bit out. I'm very proud of you because we did meet a very long time ago and you have made this happen in your life and I'm very proud of you. You have made this opportunity for yourself and you're sharing it with many others and you have brought joy to me today as well. So thank you. Thanks. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audio books are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.